Okay, Pasa Mufasa. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast, a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker, and today on the pod, we've got laboratory wizard, world traveler, and most importantly, community and service-minded steward of mushroom medicine, the one and only David Poplin of Humboldt County. For example, turkey tails. If you're trying to do an extraction on turkey tails, they're high in beta-glucans. They have a polysaccharide crestin in there that's really healthy for you. And in order to do that, you know, polysaccharides are basically just sugars linked together. So with that, you can just use water because sugar is soluble in water. David's one of the most genuine, humble, and intelligent humans you're gonna come across in this crazy world. He's gonna drop some knowledge on best practices in fungi cultivation. We're talking chemistry here, big brain shit. We're talking principles of high-performance liquid chromatography. We're talking solvent extraction, mushroom genetics, a little bit of agar. But we are also talking big picture human liberation, community service, philanthropy, and the intersection of music and mushrooms. I'm stoked on this episode. I'm stoked on what David's doing. I'm stoked you're here listening in. Hello. So let's get this show on the road. David Poplin, K Pasa Mufasa. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited. David, I've been hearing from my sources that you're a wizard in the lab, so let's dive into some technical jargon here. I want to dive deeper into what an HPLC is. I was first introduced to HPLC by Oakland Haifei. Shout out Oakland Haifei, big fan of what he's doing and everyone in that community. If you don't know who Oakland Haifei is, get with the program. Check my man out. So... Can you drop some knowledge on what the HPLC process is and how it applies to the world of mycology? Yeah, so I mean, uh, he's actually, that's pretty awesome what he did. And I think it's the first time that they were actually using this high performance liquid chromatography machine to actually analyze, uh, you know, psilocybin or psilocin. So basically uh, what it is, is uh, it's an analytical method used in chemistry uh, to separate, identify, and quantify uh, um, components of a mixture. So for us, we're going to be using uh, mushrooms. So we will put our mushrooms in a, a solvent, some sort of solvent, usually like acetyl nitrile or something like that. And we will inject that solvent mixture with the mushrooms into the machine. And uh, the machine basically will use diode array detectors and like pumps. And, you know, it's basically, I'm trying to, trying to say like is a, uh, easy as possible, I guess. So basically the solvent through with these pumps and uh, it'll separate the components. So the, the components are separated due to their different degrees of interaction with the column. So either their uh, pH, their uh, pKa, their ionic characteristics, uh, you know, stuff like that, their, you know, polarity, and that will separate the components out. And then you get this chromatogram that'll tell you exactly the concentration of that psilocybin or psilocin. So we'll be searching for psilocybin or the active compound, uh, psilocin, which is the dephosphorylated compound of psilocybin, which occurs naturally in our, in our stomachs. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, the HPLC is a, a very used machine in chemistry. Uh, we, we used it to separate uh, proteins of, of a mixture and uh, analyze that. But yeah, this is, this is going to be game changer to be able to have access to these HPLCs, high-performance liquid chromatography machines, to be able to, con to know the concentration in our, all of our mushroom products, you know, whether it's chocolate or microdose pills or, you know, anything. And then you'd be able to standardize it from my understanding because that which can be measured can be improved. So there's been all these old urban legends I'm sure you've heard that have been around forever about like stems or caps have more psilocybin than the other ones. And I think that's also when we're talking about harm reduction and education, that's so important because one of the reasons I love mushrooms over other psychedelics is I always feel like I'm getting a pretty fair shake out of them. Like I kind of know what I'm going to get at the same, by the same decree, sometimes you have wildly different potencies in your strains. So depending on if you're getting right penis envy or golden teacher, or you're cultivating it yourself, I found some to be way more potent. So I think this is really a game changer, like you said, in the sense that we're going to have more of a degree of certainty over what people are ingesting and, and being able to measure it out exactly. So thank you for breaking that down for us. That's very helpful and something that's super new also. And I hope to see 
people at home and in their communities have access to this technology. I think right now it's probably just a few people who are able to to kind of ascertain the potencies of psilocybin. But I really hope to see in the future, like it's more of an at-home thing, or at the very least, you know exactly what you're getting when you're buying something. Yeah, and I, I'm really excited to see some of that too. You know, like to be able to know the concentration of like, let's say a uh, mushroom that has more of a cerebral high versus, you know, the body high. So is there going to be like a concentration different between those? And I don't know, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see this, this industry blow up. For sure. We're here for it. Micropreneurs, what's up? I can't <laughs> wait to see the this go more mainstream. It feels like every day more and more people are turning on to it. Funny enough, even since we've been talking and, and having our dialogue and, and about doing this podcast, quite a number of very mainstream church folk have approached me because I've been more like public facing with my advocacy. And I'm finding that like, these people who traditionally have not been able to talk about this stuff or have a reliable source, they're very interested in it. And that just gets me all stoked. Cause I'm like, you actually want to have a conversation, an adult conversation about psilocybin containing mushrooms and about what it means and, and mental health. So I'd like to see more of that. I want to see it on main street USA and more people talking about it, not just in these fringe subcultures where it's always been for the last 50 years. I think we're starting to see that. So David, when I put out the word that you'd be joining us on Mycopreneur Podcast, I asked if anyone in the Myco community has a specific question or questions for you. And my dear friend, Mycoblast, shout out Mycoblast, who's an extraordinary cultivator and mushroom advocate in their own right. They want us to discuss the following, fungal compound extraction and your preferred solvents for most extracts. So what do you got for us on this topic, David? Uh, so, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, it really depends what the compound is that you're looking at. So it, it comes down to polarity again, just like the HPLC. So if we're trying to do psilocybin, then we know that it'll be soluble in ethanol. And ethanol is the most widely used uh, solvent that we can, us normal civilians can get our hands on without, you know, breaking the law or like trying to find a different solvent. I mean, there's better solvents out there, like chloroform is a good one. Um, you know, I would love to have some diethyl ether. But, uh, you know, the, the most easy thing to get is the ethanol. And, you know, the, the, the best kind is you, like right now I get about, uh, I use 190 proof organic cane ethanol, and I can get that locally up here um, from one of the, you know, gas and oxygen places. And that seems to be working great for me. And um, that I use that for, you know, compounds that are polar. Uh, other stuff, like if you're trying to get, like, for example, turkey tails, if you're trying to do an extraction on turkey tails, they're high in beta-glucans. They have a polysaccharide crestin in there that's really healthy for you. And in order to do that, you know, polysaccharides are basically just sugars linked together. So with that, you can just use water because sugar is soluble in water. Uh, you can just do like, you know, a hot water bath or almost like a tea or something. And then you, you can condense that water down and you have like, at the end, you'll have like, you know, like a sugar like glucose looking tar. And that's how you know that you kind of like successfully extracted out those beta glucans. So it really just depends on uh, what compound you're trying to extract. But overall, ethanol is going to be the most widely used one just, just because of the availability. And that's so key, right? Because so many people are bootstrapping. Uh, not everyone's a fan of this, but I love the Uncle Ben's community. I just think it's so accessible for so many people, right? Being able to already have your substrate all ready to go. And I've <laughs> seen people even growing in pill bottles and things like that. So I think that accessibility is really key because not everyone who's getting involved in this is trying to be a commercial cultivator or someone who's doing this professionally. I think there's total validity and the home micropreneur or the home cultivator just growing for themselves and their family and their community. So it's awesome to have all range of options and that these commercially available and readily available products are going to help people to cultivate these. And so thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm sure that's exactly the type of answer that Mycoblast was looking for. So to, to build off of that, some more lab and cultivation knowledge. I'm a member of a number of different mushroom subreddits. Shout out to Mike Tyson, friend of the podcast. Uh, he's the founder of Mushroom Growers and Michael Bazaar on Reddit, which is a valuable online resource for cultivators with over 200,000, almost 200,000 combined members. 
And in these cultivation subreddits, David, I've been seeing these people post that they're members or become members of the 100 gram club, which is a 100 gram wet single mushroom. And these things are monstrous. I've seen them right from like fingertips to elbow, these extreme and impressive fruits. So I wanted to, to pick your brain and see if you have any ideas or insights as to what you can do to grow a 100 gram mushroom or a bigger mushroom. Because for example, when I last year was experimenting with my first B plus strains and cultivating, <laughs> I got some really nice flushes, but you know, nothing like that. So what's the difference between in your process and what you're putting into cultivation between being able to grow like a 10 gram wet mushroom and a 100 gram wet mushroom? Most of the time it's genetics. So genetics are, play a big role and you know the size and shapes of your mushrooms but there is little things that you can do like controlling your environment you know having high humidity will help the mushrooms grow bigger uh, mushrooms are 90% water so they you know uptake that water and get big and um, but yeah mainly it's genetics uh, other than that you there's little things that you can do as well to kind of like beef up your um, your genetics or your mycelium on your agar plates so what you can do is you can like uh you know, you keep doing transfers, but, and when you do your transfers onto your different agar plates, you can use different medias and you can add different compounds. Like, uh, for example, you could start off with a, a light malt extract and dextrose mixture uh, for your agar plates. And let's say that's your T1. Uh, we put some mycelium on there, it grows. Then the next transfer that you do, you can change up that ingredients list and maybe add some, you know, some peptone or change it to uh, sucrose or, uh, you know, a different kind of like sugar source or carbon source. And that can help the mycelium kind of, um, you know, keep it fresh, keep it, you know, nice and, and fed, fed properly. Because what you don't want is for your mushrooms to go through senescing or senescence, which uh, is pretty much just your mycelium and uh, genetics kind of like dying out, uh, you know, becoming weaker. And that can cause your mushrooms to not be as, you know, full and huge and chungus <laughs> but yeah um basically genetics and controlling your environment and doing little things like that of like changing your media and just making sure that your mycelium's happy okay and let's dive a little bit into agar because that's also something i'm relatively new to and you know i i like a lot of people don't have a science and a lab background but i wanted to cultivate so i started with a turnkey kit and you know there's different philosophies on if that's a great place but i i, I personally found it a great place to start because you have success and you can kind of have this soft entree into the world of cultivation where you start learning about sterilization and you start learning about you know agar to grain transfer or um spawning the and fruiting the, all these different processes that for great cultivators, it's like, oh, that's easy. That's second nature. But for a lot of newer cultivators, that's kind of like a barrier to entry. And it's, you know, learning through all this stuff. So agar is, is kind of an important process to learn how to work with agar. Do you have any tips for beginners or people who want to start pouring their, their own agar plates about best practices or how to work with agar? Yeah, it's, it's funny you brought that up. Like, so Mike Tyson, uh, those kits that he sells are really great. And, and you know, starting off with a kit, is a great way to get introduced into, you know, growing mushrooms. Uh, and especially it's just fun and, you know, it's the easiest route to go. You don't have to pour your own agar, but uh, yeah, I mean, the best thing you can do is practice. The, the more you pour, the better you get. Um, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make spills. You're going to make messes, you know, but the more you get it done, the, the, the better your tech is going to get. And, uh, you know, it's a equipment too. Uh, it's a, uh, buying a thousand milliliter uh bottle is a lot easier to pour out of than let's say a, a flask it has like a, a some of the new bottles and stuff have like pour rings to make to where the, the rings kind of help the flow of the pour so you're not spilling into your plates as much or around your plates so i mean it's really just practice and getting it done and, and you know the more you pour the better you get and is that part of your practice? Are you regularly pouring agar? Because I, I see Mike Tyson's videos and like he's on another level because he's, you know, selling these things all over. But like there's a tremendous amount of work going into that. Is that something that's part of your workflow? Yeah, I, I literally just asked him that yesterday because I saw him doing a bunch of pours. And I was uh, my question to him was I was like, how do you pour that all so fast without it solidifying in your uh, 
in your jar because uh, or bottle. So basically, agar uh, when it, you're heating it up, so it's like a, a seaweed kind of algae thingy or type, you know, material. So when you heat it up, it's a liquid form. But once it gets to that cold, uh, probably lower than about 120 Fahrenheit, that's like the the point right there is when it starts to solidify. And if you solidify it in your in your bottle, then you have to like heat it up again and then wait for it to cool down. So that's what he was saying. He's he was like. I know my exact temperatures, whether it's in the summer and winter to, to when I need to pour. So he's, he's, he's got it locked in to where he's pouring, you know, hundreds and thousands of plates, you know, without probably much spilling, much, uh, you know, error. It's impressive. I saw a time-lapse video he posted to his Instagram stories and it was just stacks of these things. So uh, again, shout out Mike Tyson. I'm a big fan, not only of his work, but his contributions to the community. He's very service minded. And I think he's a great example for people who want to get into cultivation and, and to be able to hook their community up and to, to not look at being a micropreneur or a cultivator involved in the mycology industry, just as a profit oriented bottom line sort of deal, but to see it as a vehicle for community service and for being able to take care of people and being a provider for them. I think both you and him are great embodiments of that. And from where I'm standing, I'd love to do anything I can to support what you guys are doing. So it's an honor for me to have you on the podcast and to be able to share this cultivation knowledge with people because that's what it's all about is that peer-to-peer transfer of knowledge and, and community-mindedness. I'm just a great fan of people who want to put themselves out there like that and be service-minded for their community because I think that mushrooms and, and mushroom therapy and cultivation is such a great point to launch from for that community service. So one more question I have related to cultivation is uh, last year, as I mentioned, when I first started cultivating psilocybes, I got three nice flushes from my monotub. I've heard of people getting seven flushes or more. What are some practices you might be able to shed some knowledge on for rehydrating your monotubs or being able to get more bang for your buck and more flushes out of your cakes? Uh, so that's going to be uh, how sterile can you be? You know, definitely be careful when you're uh, harvesting, you know, wear gloves, clean your tools before you do it between each tubs or whatever. But it, yeah, it's really up to you and how clean your, your tub is going to be, because if it contaminates, then you have to get it out of your fruiting room. So it won't have another chance to get, you know, another flush. Um, that also has something to do with the ratio of your spawn to um, sub. So that has a big, that'll definitely determine if you're going to get, you know, a fat first flush or a fat second flush. Um, you know, people do a two to one ratio. That's like a standard. That's typically what I, I like to do sometimes. And uh, that does allow me to have, you know, two to two to six flushes. And it really just depends on how sterile I am when I'm, when I'm harvesting. Yeah, that's a big learning curve, I think, for people who aren't coming from a laboratory background, right? Like, and and part of it, like you said, is you're gonna make mistakes. Like I had a few contam cakes and I, I did a Rishi grow recently and the whole thing was contam. I got two nice fat shelves out of it. And I felt like that was a success. You know, it's a it's an open-ended hypothesis, a learning experiment, but that whole learning to be very clean and very sterile is another practice I think that translates over to life in general is like, uh, I like this idea of like, what can you learn from your practice and from growing mushrooms? And one of the things is like cleanliness is like the yep. importance of being very clean. So I, I think that there's so many lessons that mushrooms can teach us. And when you start to pay attention to them as a metaphor for life and being able to make the most out of less, being able to literally live off of waste and not be wasteful, but kind of close the loop environmentally. That's some of the stuff that gets me really excited. And uh, the more I'm cultivating, the more I realize you can't get hung up on that stuff. Like it's going to happen. You're going to have contam. You're going to have issues with it, especially as a novice or a learning cultivator. But that shouldn't be a barrier to entry. That should be a sign of like, I'm doing this. How can I, my second iteration, how can I improve this? So one more question related to that is, do you put your contam cakes or your spent cakes outside and do you ever see results from that? Or what do you do if you have some contam? Do you completely get rid of it? Yeah, that's what's uh, that's what I wanted to bring up. So trichoderma is like the main, uh, you know, that's our enemy in cultivating mushrooms, which is pretty, pretty crazy because it has a symbiotic relationship with marijuana. So it's in one field, it's uh, the homie. <laughs> yeah. And then 
mushroom and feel it's the worst enemy. But yeah, so uh, what I do is I just compost it. And uh, sometimes I have some spent cakes that still pop out some mushrooms. Uh, you know, that's great. If not, uh, it's just compost it and I'm going to use it for, um, you know, my garden, veggie garden, anything. Because uh, mycelium has a great symbiotic relationship with a lot of different plants uh, and their root systems. So, I mean, you can definitely reuse that. Another thing that I just tried too was uh, I have this tech called the jar tech. So I, I collect all my uh, butts, you know, like when I clean up the mushrooms, I collect all the butts and waste and I've been extracting that. So I just did an extract with all the waste material that I would just, you know, throw away or even compost. And I successfully created a, a product and, you know, that it's, it's really just how creative you could be. I mean, uh, you can throw it away, but why throw it away when you can use it in your garden or compost or, you know, other, other sources. That's so awesome. And that's something I've heard recently from Gary Hefferly of Fresh from the Farm Fungi. Shout out Gary. He's an incredible cultivator and has a cultivation business and a farm in Colorado. And he was telling me about how much waste there is in the hemp industry and mm -hmm. opportunities to partner up between, you know, cultivators, mushroom cultivators, and the hemp industry. So they were just out at a uh, trade show in Colorado called the NOCO Hemp Expo, and they linked up with some hemp farms that were just throwing out all this substrate and all this waste. And the, the more people I'm talking to, the more I'm realizing how that is kind of the goal here is that we're closing the loop environmentally, and you're creating very valuable assets out of liabilities. Like you have even plastic, things in a landfill are able to be substrates that you can kind of grow and cultivate mycelium on and turn them into useful products. And I think that we're just scratching the surface of what's available here. When you start thinking about all of these people and their entrepreneurial, micropreneurial ventures, I'm super excited about the whole materials aspect too of biofabrication, right? The whole psychedelic wave and, and mushroom as a food and a brain food is one thing, and that's a huge thing. But there's also all these people coming out with these incredible designs and, and materials that are based off of mycelium and very durable and very environmentally clean and regenerative. So let's talk about music and mushrooms for a bit. Um, it's one of my favorite intersections. And I see you frequently posting content where you're playing drums and you're performing yep. with bands. I'm curious, uh, tell us a little bit about that. And also, do you ever explore microdosing or mini dosing or macro dosing while performing music and oh, have you, how does that how does that impact your musical ability oh we that is one thing that we love up here so uh right now i'm actually in a project called the magic carpeteers <laughs> and it's a it's a great time you know uh, it's more often than not that we are micro dosing or you know sometimes it turns into a macro dose on accident but uh you know we love it it's it's it literally for me at least uh i'm sure i'm not going to speak on the other guys but i know they like it too but for me at least uh it's just so nice i literally get into a zone it's a it's a crazy zone where i can just close my eyes and kind of just flow and you know we play psychedelic rock and kind of like you know stuff like grateful dead and so it's just so fun to sit back and you know just let my brain kind of go into that like i don't know musical world of like it's almost like i'm not even trying anymore it's just like a fucking perfect flow in my brain, I probably sound like shit, maybe, but <laughs> uh, no, I, I have some experience with that. I used to live in San Francisco. I went to the University of San Francisco and I played in a band that would regularly play around town at venues. And I, I really wanted to try it, just like taking a mini dose, like a half eighth and performing on stage. So I was able to do it at our student cafe because it was really low stakes. It was just friends yeah. there. And it was way more comfortable than I imagined. And, you know, exactly as you're describing, like I felt like it really elevated my ability to be keenly aware of what was going on, not just like musically, but also with the whole performance, with the venue, yes. with the space. And I just think there's so much potential to elevate not, not just musical performance. Obviously, I think this personally, I think this carries over to lots of other intersections and domains in life. And I'm a big advocate for people like, you know, try it and try it in a low stakes environment, no matter what yep. you're doing, if you're an artist or if you're a performer or an orator, or maybe even working in the laboratory, like if you really know the environment you're in, like check that out and see, and maybe it's not for everyone, but I think there's a lot of people who would discover that this is uh, this is going to elevate my performance overall. There's that huge stigma, you know, people are kind of like, oh, I'm scared or like, you know, it's, it's a drug, it's illegal. 
So, I mean, that, that kind of stuff right there kind of scares everyone from, you know, it literally like helps neurological, you know, connections, you know, it, it makes your brain kind of rewire itself in, in different ways that you, you won't if you're not on that psychedelic. So, I mean, it's just a really cool, like we're in the right direction and it's, and it's fucking awesome for me. And it's a blessing for me to be able to cultivate my own for my friends and family, like to be able to have that and to be able for us to, you know, an easy access for us to have these microdose jams all the time is like, you know, a blessing. It's like a dream come true, kind of. The Magic Carpeteers. Coming yeah. soon to a venue near you. Dude, I hope <laughs> you guys make a run down to San Diego. I'll definitely come out. So uh, let's talk about the Humboldt culture for a second, because just growing up, I always heard about how open and transparent Humboldt is, how there's, you know, a culture and a whole industry that's devoted mainly to cannabis cultivation and also oh, yeah. certainly to, to that extends to mushroom cultivation. Why is that? Why is it that Humboldt is so cool and open and connected and so many pockets of the country are still imprisoning people for marijuana possession and extend that to around the world? And like you said, there's this huge stigma around it. I had a conversation with one of my best friends yesterday who's not at all on this wavelength and i've been pretty public and public facing you know with my posting because i want to destigmatize uh specifically mushrooms and their benefit for the brain and for people and for communities and he straight up asked me he's like so these are illegal mushrooms right and i'm like <laughs> man this there's we got so much work to do you know i don't know how to yeah. explain it any more clearly than the science and all the research is coming out but why is humble so chill about everything well uh that's what's kind of cool about it up here is, you know, uh, in SoCal, people call the cops on you for growing some indoor pot or some indoor mushrooms or something like that. You know, up here, it's like your neighbors are almost doing the same thing. And it's a communal thing. You know, you kind of know that they're doing it. They know you're doing it. You're kind of like, hey, what's up? Like, you know, maybe even like trade products or even like, you know, the stash and dash stuff. Like I could be like, if I know one of my friends is doing something cool with marijuana and mushrooms, whatever, art, uh, I, you know, definitely notice that and then i'll be like hey you know i want to try that or you know it's it's just cool community vibes and like uh i think the reason of it is it's kind of just still uncharted lands it's still kind of like the wild wild west and you know it's less regulated and it's not you know uh what's really cool is you know i live in a town arcada arcada has no fast food so it makes it fucking easy to eat you know i can eat healthy I'm, i have access to really expensive healthy food <laughs> but uh <laughs> You know, it's just like that. I, I think it's just like that. And then the, um, you know, the marijuana just grows great because the soil is so we're kind of in like a, a, a rainforest. Same with the mushrooms. There's a lot of mushroom hunt, hunting and just, you know, big trees and plants and nature. And uh, I think that's probably why it makes it such a special and individual place. Yeah, I love it up there. I'm going to come visit you. All right. I've uh, had friends, you know, living hey, in Arcata at, at different points in my life. And I've been to Humboldt. It's been a few years, but I've always enjoyed that area of the world. And of course, as you just mentioned, it's traditionally known as a hot spot for cannabis cultivation. I've met people from all over the world who have traveled to the Emerald Triangle and to Humboldt and around there to, to trim and to cultivate. Yep. Would you say that this burgeoning mushroom cultivation industry in Humboldt, there's a lot of crossover between the cannabis cultivation operations and people from that world who are now starting to position themselves for the growing interest in psilocybin mushrooms? No, yeah, definitely. And uh, well, what's kind of weird, too, about Humboldt is, uh, you know, when most scientists graduate up here, there's not much work. So most of the scientists and stuff like that will, will leave um, Humboldt, but like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, so with with cannabis, um, it's a uh, it's people's, you know, everyday jobs and stuff. But cannabis is starting to become more of a corporate uh, corporation up here. And it's kind of like ruining, you know, a lot of that. Uh, it's ruining a lot of like the, the vibes, I, I guess, in a sense, easiest way to say it. Um, I've heard that from a number of different cultivators. And, you know, we were both down in Guatemala. We missed each other by a minute. But I, I met quite a few cultivators down there who had been in the cannabis industry who really brought that to my attention about how cannabis <clears throat> has had all these kind of sharks, kind of monolithic corporate interests who have come in and they're very focused on things like trying only to increase THC content and trying only to productize. And I think that there's this general 
fear or apprehension in a lot of mushroom cultivation communities of with impending legalization and the legislation moving that way of that may be happening with mushrooms. And, and pretty much anyone who's been involved for a long time or for the right reasons, I think has less of a bottom line money mentality interest around mushrooms. Of course, I think a lot of people want to build livelihoods and they want to do it legitimately and all that. But I, I find that a lot of people who are in the mushroom community are not just interested in like, how many units can I sell? You know, it's no, like yeah. a way yeah. bigger thing than that. I'm going to get rich off this. No, yeah. Um, so I've been in cannabis for probably the last 10 years. And, you know, I still do mess around with some cannabis stuff. Uh, you know, the last six years has pretty much been like extractions and definitely all that is carrying over into the mycology world now. And, uh, you know, one thing I will say is mycology and mushrooms has changed my life. You know, everybody says it and it's true. It's super true because, you know, cannabis changed my life too. Like I'm not degrading that, but you know, the, the mushrooms, I don't know, it just, it, it's a different kind of vibe. You know, uh, I, when I grow, you know, something that actually cures cancer or potentially cures cancer, or, or, you know, grow something that someone takes and they're like, you literally made me glow for months, you know, that, that hits home and that feels so good. And it, it, that is where it finally feels like, okay, I'm finally giving back, you know, with cannabis, it's like, Hey, your weed's bomb. I smoked it and I got really high and ate like a fucking pound of cheese or something. And you're just like, nice, me too. <laughs> but like with mushrooms, it's just so much more rewarding. And, and I am so blessed to be where I'm at and have the friends that I've met. And mushrooms did that, you know, it's so crazy how something like that can just like, you know, change your life so fast. I find a true sense of fulfillment that I don't get in other arenas. Like we, mushrooms for me are something that are very intuitive and grounding and connecting and being able to like build off from that and start, you know, evaluating your life and your community and your work. I feel like it gives you it gives me a real sense of dignity and value and and more of a calling, I guess, than other things I've been involved with. Like even when I was teaching high school and I was in education, like I liked a lot of things about it, but I wouldn't say like, this is a calling, you know? I, I felt way more of a connection to the communities that were that were working with mushrooms and to mushrooms in general, foraging, being out in nature, kind of learning more. You know, you the more you learn about mushrooms, the more you have to learn about like different types of trees and soil yeah. types, right? Yeah. And like, all of a sudden you start paying more attention to the way the world is set up and to nature and things like that. So speaking about your laboratory background, I see you posting content from legit laboratories and they're quite official looking, not necessarily <laughs> the janky home cultivation setups that many of us know and love. What's your background with laboratory sciences and how does that fit into your day-to-day -day hustle these days? Um, it always has. I mean, cannabis kind of started my scientific endeavor where it was kind of like, I want to grow better weed back in like 2010. So that kind of like, you know, brought me to plant biology. And then in plant biology, we ended up growing mushrooms. You know, that was the first time I grew mushrooms back in like 2011 in a biology class. So I was like, whoa, this is cool. You know, and that kind of like sparked my interest. I did a biology internship. And that was the first time I started pouring a bunch of agar plates, you know, just for like the internship. Like I never would have thought I'd be doing that for myself nowadays like just pouring plates. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I graduated at Humboldt State with a, bio, a biochem degree and started working, you know, illegal hash labs. Well, there I, I did a bunch of, uh, I did some undergrad research. So I kind of know and saw how, you know, legit laboratories are set up and ran. So that really helped me when, uh, when I did set up my mine right now, it helped me kind of develop that kind of, you know, clean, sterile technique, uh, qualities that I learned in college. Right on. And obviously that's carried over and uh, you got the white lab coat. You're, you're hanging out there regularly. Is that your, what'd you say, like your full-time hustle that you're actively working in the laboratory environment every day? Yep. I'm there every day. Uh, I, I totally enjoy it. It's, it's awesome. Like right outside my door is a view of the redwoods. So I'm like, I'm blessed. Some of my neighbors are glass blowers. So I'll go over there and say, what's up to them. And see what they're up to, see what they're making. Sweet. I think uh, maybe one of them was involved in that stash and dash because I saw that you had some glass that was yep. part of that deal. Sweet. And uh, give a shout out to, to that company. Who's that? Who's making that? Yeah, that's Chunk Glass. He's my boy, Chunk. Follow him on Instagram. 
For sure. All right. Shout out. Um, what's the foraging season like in Humboldt? I've, uh, you know, seen, I've been to Mendocino probably more often than I've been all the way up to Humboldt, but I remember seeing a ton of like Amanitas. And at that point in my life, I really didn't have too much of a familiarity with uh, the different types of mushrooms. I was just like, oh, that's the big red one with the white spots on the cap, that kind of deal. Yeah. But what, what's the foraging season like? Is it year round or is there like a particular time when it's really good to go foraging for mushrooms out in Humboldt? Well, yeah, it's a, it, there's different times for sure, but there's, it's kind it's pretty much seasonal. There is a lot of mushrooms around. Um, the Amanitas are always around that, That's crazy. Like, uh, they get pretty big. Um, to be honest, my buddy Jordan, he's the one that's been like the foraging king. He, uh, shows me around all the time has, has a bunch of spots. Um, I'm mainly into the foraging of the psilocybin cyanescence. Those uh -huh. are like favorite to find. And that's seasonal for sure. That's definitely around like, you know, winter time. Uh, but that's, that's like awesome too. It's like just right when that season hits, it's time, you know, the boys just kind of wake up at 7am and get out there and fill some bags with some cyanessins mm -hmm. and give them away. Like, that's the cool thing about those too, is like, I feel so bad foraging like psilocybin cyanessins and like selling them. It just doesn't feel right. You know? So like, it was almost like a, we would find it just because we'd love to find it. It's like, it's weird, dude. You have like dreams about like finding a sick ass patch. Like, <laughs> and then you go out in the morning and hope to find that patch in your dreams. And, but uh, yeah. And then you, you find a bunch and we come home and kind of like compare like who found the most and then we'll just like give it away, you know, like that'll be our, our jam mushrooms or like, you know, I don't even know. I, I the mailman asked for some and I gave huh. him some free and it's just like here you go man like <laughs> he's like why is this free and i'm like because i found him that's so epic dude yeah and you know what unfortunately unfortunately there's not a ton of that in san diego um there there are in mexico so i'm based in southern mexico uh currently i'm in san diego for three weeks that's where i was born and, and raised but i live in chiapas in san cristobal de las casas which is a really vibey little town oh, cool. yeah. it's kind of funny because it's only a day trip away from lake atitlan so like a lot of the people at fungi academy in that community uh which we've both been to they come up when they're they need to you know um renew their visa they come up to our town and when we have to do it we go down to their town so there's kind of like a funny little overlap there but um i'm curious if you've ever tried cloning any of the wild mushrooms that you found or you've ever looked into that because i know that's like a emerging trend more and more people are getting into microscopy uh microscopy excuse me and starting to like clone and starting to look into okay we found all these wild mushrooms how do we document and catalog and then maybe like take a tissue culture from them do you have any experience with something like that no yeah we have we have some plates in my lab right now of uh some different cultures like piazzarescence and cyanescence we definitely have those going uh you want to be definitely you definitely want to be careful with uh, wild mushrooms in your lab because you could potentially you know bring in contaminations from wild contaminations that you have no idea what they are so uh, yeah, you de we've definitely been doing that. And we, we use like still other boxes, like uh, outside of our lab, you do stuff like that. That way we kind of, and then, you know, we haven't, uh, so we basically, yes, we have the mycelium on plates. Um, we have some swabs and for spore, spore, spore prints and stuff, but we haven't taken it further yet. Cool. So that's an arena of study. I think that is going to be really interesting as more and more people start to really, you know, I think only something like 10% of wild mushrooms have actually been documented and discovered, maybe far less than that. So, you know, talking about how mushrooms could potentially cure cancer, which I'm certainly an advocate of their ability to do all kinds of things that the FDA doesn't certify, right? I think a lot of people in the community and who have experience and have been studying it start to say like, wow, there are not a ton of limits to what these things can do as far as elevating people's immune systems and, and helping them out, you know, and so that's, that's really exciting arena of study that's moving quite slowly at the official level, but it's like the citizen scientists and explorers who I think are really moving the needle on this, which makes mycology so special to me. And I'm still learning a lot about this, like, movement towards decriminalization and legalization. So I'm curious because you mentioned you've been involved in cannabis for at least 10 years. So that mm -hmm. means you were involved in cannabis when this shift went from the true wild west and everything being, you know, truly illegal to California declaring cannabis as an essential business. And like during the pandemic, like everything closed yeah. and the, the dispensaries stayed open, which was really yeah. 
So what, what are some of your thoughts on that? Like, did you notice some really crazy trends or shifts in Humboldt when uh, marijuana was legalized? And are you seeing any similarities with what's happening with the decriminalization movement with mushrooms? Well, this, this decriminalization feels like 2010 marijuana industry. You know, it's just very exciting, very new. You, there's new studies coming out. You're able to study it without fucking going to jail forever. But uh, yeah, so I think this is the beginning. This feels like the beginning back in 2010. You know, and with cannabis, I always said, oh, if I was 10 years older, I would be the guys up here in Humboldt owning the labs, you know, owning the grows and stuff. You know, it's right time and place. So like, that's what's really exciting is like being a entrepreneur and being like getting involved, you know, in this community that's growing. And like you said, the medicinal side of it, dude, is way, like, they're both very rewarding, but the medicinal side is just so awesome. You know, we, we definitely lost sense of our ancient Chinese medicine and culture, you know, like the Western medicine fucked that up. But uh, yeah, it's like, my, I give my mom mushrooms, you know, my dad gets mushrooms, my friends get mushrooms. It's awesome. And to be able to know about, you know, the different compounds or chemicals in it that will help. And I'm like, mom, you want to stay young? Take this lion's mane, you know, take this fucking reishi, please. <laughs> and then she finally did. Boom. Wow. Okay. That's uh, going above and beyond right there. That's like true community service at the most intimate level to be able to hook people up like that. And I'm a big fan of this know your grower idea, because yeah. I think like, as more and more people are starting to pay attention to these compounds and benefits. And, you know, more research is coming out about lion's mane and reishi and chaga and all these things. I've noticed people ordering in bulk on Amazon and like from farms where they don't really know where they're coming from. And I, you know, I've heard many stories about people getting like false turkey tails or for instance, I, I found some uh, cordyceps powder at an apothecary type store in Mexico. And it was like $5 for a huge bag of it. And I'm just like, you're like, cannot be real. no, because like, <laughs> The stuff I get from Gary from Fresh from the Farm Fungi, shout out, it's like 75 bucks for a half ounce of it. So like how, you know, how are these mega providers selling these capsules or whatever that, so I'm a big fan of Know Your Grower. And that's another reason to like cultivate connections and, you know, to reach out to people and plug into the communities because that's what it's all about right there. So speaking of being able to hook people up too, I love to talk about uh, mushroom dosage and setting because it's so divergent for so many people, right? And uh, I'm curious, what's your preferred wheelhouse, David, for a psychedelic mushroom experience? Uh, are you with your friends camping and jamming on a low dose? Are you, you know, stick uh, dialing it up to a higher dose by yourself or just depends on, on where you're at? What's that all about? Well, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people relate to this. You usually start low and then you're like, whoa, this is kind of cool. And then you start wanting more and then you eat more and then you're like, you know, having a great time. So then the next time you're like, okay, maybe I'll start off with eating more. And so that's kind of like where I'm at now is I, I kind of just like start low, you know, maybe like a 0.2 of a gram dose. That'll be like my micro dose start for the night or whatever, if it's like, you know, mid jam or before jams. And then it usually ends up eating like another, another 0.2 or like another, like maybe like another 0.4. So I usually end up around like a gram to a gram and a half and a dose in the night. I think that's a really sweet spot. I've always felt like the one gram to the half eighth range, I just feel still functional. You know, it's like, obviously, I do like to explore the higher doses and all that and, you know, far in excess of that. But it, it, I'm not as functional at that level. You know, it's like, okay, I got to really chill out and be introspective and go in here. But I think that like one gram to 1.5 gram level is like, perfect for being able to really, you know, elevate your game a little bit and to bring out all kinds of um, subtleties to bring out more like nuances and subtleties to your environment and to yourself and all that. But yeah, dude, I, I'm fully on board with that. And my, my microdose is like a 0.5. And that's not like, yeah. you know, an everyday thing. But I have these capsules that are 0.5. And it's just like money every time. Ain't bad, you know, and you're right, though, it is it is a time and place, you know, if I am camping on the Smith River, and, you know, that's, that's the time and place to maybe take the eighth or like, you know, maybe two grams or so, and just, you know, be with nature. But uh, with the band, I can't, at least for me, I can't eat an eighth and sit behind the drum set. That'll just... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I think that more people are interested in trying those, like a, a little bit goes a long way. And I've been amazed at 
a lot of the friends that I have in my life that are from such wildly divergent mm -hmm. and different backgrounds and demographics who have all developed an appreciation for psilocybin mushrooms. And I'm talking about like people who have no background with like psychedelic community or culture, like people from the former Soviet Union and from, you know, professional backgrounds and this kind of stuff. And yesterday I was out with a group of military veterans and it's this amazing organization called Veterans Walk and Talk. And all of them basically come together and hike. They call it hiker dosing. Take these microdose capsules. Many of them are interested in, in ceremony or in you know, different plant medicine modalities and mushrooms. And it's just amazing to me that I have something in common with people where, you know, I grew up in a very different culture and background. I don't really, I, I don't have any military background. And yet here I am hiking to the top of a mountain with these people and connecting with them and, and you know, having these incredible conversations and, and healing and, and shared healing and community. And it's just one of the most amazing things to me about mushrooms is that it's, it's able to fuse so many different diverse backgrounds. Yeah. It's common ground. It's an easy way for everyone to kind of just be like, yeah, we like this and let's talk about it. And that's funny you brought up that uh, I have a good friend in the Navy and they just got off, they just got back on the gnarly, you know, deployment. It was like a year long. And uh, he came up to Humble and uh, I made him fill some capsules <laughs> and he took them down and he was like, he gave them out. So that, and then he was like, dude, the Navy thanks you. <laughs> Love and, it. Then, and then he started like, I had like some of his friends messaging me and they were like, dude, like it literally made my life brighter. And I was like, what? And then like, they kind of explained it a little bit more. And I was just like, wow, like that's so like, so rewarding. Like I said, it comes back to that where it was like, dude, like they wouldn't, they can't grow themselves. You know, they can't possess it. They're it's illegal for them to take, you know, but I'd much rather them do something that's going to enlighten their day or enlighten their mood than have to like, you know, feel like they need to snort cocaine because it's gone in from their system in three days. And that is a, another amazing thing about mushrooms is that to my understanding, and I've had conversations with a number of different people who have skin in these games that you're not able to test for them, or at least a lot of people don't, hard. Have that, don't have that capacity. And yeah, that's true. It's sad, you know, that for like alcohol consumption has been so normalized in America. And it's just like, we turn a blind eye to that. And that, yeah, know, we it's, it's really amazing. And then something that has so much uplifting potential. And what I think it comes back to is this community factor that what people are really missing when they want to take a substance is they're missing a sense of like connection, value, personal worth. And, you know, the, these all kinds of different substances that people turn to potentially enable them to feel that sense of warmth and that sense of value. But there's all kinds of gnarly side effects and there's all kinds of gnarly like societal impact and community impact. And I think that with mushrooms, especially done the way that I want to see it done and that I like is like your neighbors are growing it. You're connecting with your neighbors. You know, you're, you're building this kind of community level system where you feel a sense of recognition and value and, and you're connecting with the community and you're out in nature and all these things come back. And all of a sudden it's, it's not just like you take mushrooms and then this amazing door opens. It's like this combination of elements and influences that all work synergistically to uplift people and to brighten your day. Super exciting. It's, it's, it's spiritual, you know, like it, it, it makes you want to do, to be your best self in a sense. Sometimes, you know, it depends on your, on what you want, but like, at least for me, the mushrooms are telling me be your best self, you know, mm -hmm. and that shit's awesome and inspiring and like, damn. Damn, super inspiring. Well, speaking of, you know, we've been touching a little bit about psilocybin mushrooms here, but let's talk about lion's mane. I noticed you're growing lion's mane. You've got the lion's mane capsules. How long have you been cultivating lion's mane and what's your process look like for, for your cultivation? So that, that one's pretty new in the books for me. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to ramp that up because I didn't realize that most people don't even know what that was. You know, I, I did another giveaway where I uh, filled up some capsules and um, I had people guess how many capsules were in the jar. And I was so surprised at how many people. There's a lot of people that were just like, what is that? Or, you know, even if it does, even if I don't win, can I purchase some from you? And then I'd be like, well, you know, I'm ramping up, I'm going to have more, but right now I don't have much. And then I had to tell him, but you could get it at like, you know, your local farmer's market or like store or something, you know, health store. And same thing that you talked about earlier is know your grower. Most people are like, eh, no, I think I'd rather get it from you. So I'm like, well, it looks like I need to ramp that up. But uh, yeah, so the, the medicinal and culinary is definitely like new to me. Um, I'm kind of like in the works of, you know, 
I, I have a bunch of LC ready, liquid culture. I have some plates ready. And uh, it's all about just making, you know, my sawdust spawn or whatever medicinal mushroom, uh, whatever they like, whatever spawn that they like. And uh, basically just ramp that up. And, and that feels so good, man. Like that, what that, the medicinals are so fun because once you get the harvest and, you know, not only can you eat them fresh, like Lion's Mane was so awesome to make some fucking fresh fre- crab cakes. Yeah. That was, it was yeah. like one of my favorite meals I've ever made in my life. And just to have fresh mushrooms and like, it, you know, I felt some type of way of, you know, I went through a couple months of growing this mushroom you know, throughout the whole process or like building my lab to do it and like to be able to grow something and, and you can eat it. It's like where we are so pushed from that. We are so far as a society from being able to grow your own food or even have the, the time or space, space for it. So like it was just very rewarding for me. And I, I hope everybody can start cultivating their own food or, you know, growing their own food and get back to that nature and get your hands dirty. And there's so much potential for growing mushrooms and lion's mane and all kind of stuff on spent substrates or like on waste products. You know, I, I've had some conversations with people on the podcast about the potential for the hemp industry and the mycology industry or mushroom cultivators to work together because there's so much byproduct of different uh, in the hemp industry. Oh, yeah. Coffee grounds being another great example, right? Where for a lot of people, it, it takes time, money, resources to be able to cultivate your own food. But I think that mushrooms offer an opportunity to do it without a tremendous investment of resources. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't need a ton of water. You don't need a ton of space. And I personally would love to envision a future where more and more meat was being replaced by mushrooms. Like I I eat meat, you know, I've gone through periods of being vegetarian and whatnot, but um, I'm aware of the carbon footprint and uh, driving up the five. When I drive from San Diego up to, you know, San Francisco, you drive by Harris Ranch and there's just like massive amounts of cattle and, you know, industrial farming and methane. And I just would love to see a future where more people on a community level are like recognizing all these different types of exotic culinary mushrooms, right? Like for me, I grew up just thinking about just like button mushrooms and portobellos, just like the most regular regular. That's all you have, you know? And then I don't even remember the first time I became aware of lion's mane, but I think I saw it at a farmer's market and I, I just immediately saw this potential when they started telling me like, oh yeah, you can use it as a crab substitute. And then, you know, oh, yeah. So, and, but still, it's quite exotic and rare. Like I have connected with a few cultivators, fortunately, who have been able to hook me up personally, and that's the move. And now, like you know, I'm posting photos and videos of what I'm doing with the lion's mane, and people I never would have expected are hitting me up and just like, yep. oh man, I would love to try that. I've never seen it before. I'm like, wow, we got to make this more accessible. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. We got to give the meds to the people and to ourselves and family. Mm-hmm. And 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 like you said, that that's what I really liked about Fungi Academy is because they proved, you know, they don't have internet or access to like fucking Jeff Bezos dropping off a flow hood to your house. So like, you know, they, they had to put together their whole lab from like, you know, scraps and like, they really proved how you can cultivate mushrooms with, you know, you almost your surroundings, like just be creative and figure and, you know, try and build a a lab at home lab or like a, a small cultivating spot. And, you know, DIY. And, and that was really inspiring. Guatemala was life-changing for sure. Uh, you know, I've been basing myself out of Chiapas and Mexico the last year or so. And I, I've spent much of my life traveling because I live on the border. So I was, I have friends and family and, you know, people on both sides of the border. And especially now with uh, the mushroom season coming up, it's going to be the rainy season. Like Southern Mexico is popping off dude there's just so much going on like between oaxaca and veracruz chiapas where i am puebla they've got all these feria de hongos they've got mushroom fairs and like super (laughs) a long-standing culture and ancestry around them it's really it's exciting stuff i need to come visit yeah my my family is in san diego but yeah i definitely need to come visit that sounds amazing yeah i love San Diego is amazing too. I love it down here. It's funny because it's kind of off the radar a little bit. Like everybody, you know, is thinking about LA and San Francisco and all that. And then San Diego just has such a chilled out surf beach bum culture, border culture. So it's, it's my home. I'm from here. I love it. It's a, I'm excited. I'm excited for summer, dude. I love uh, what I'll do is I'll escape humble, the humble hidden lifestyle and I'll go down there and actually see some people and, and surf. It's too cold to surf up here for me. So 
I really enjoy the the San Diego Oceanside surf. Yeah, dude. Well, next time you're down here, if I'm around, man, hit me up. I would love to link up down here. And uh, that's pretty much everything that I had, like I wanted to cover today. You know, I, I like keeping the podcast right around like 40, 45 minutes, you know, and, and that's kind of the sweet spot. But before we wrap up, like, is there, are there any other projects that you're currently involved in that you want to shout out or you want to promote? Um, I got some chocolate bars on the way. I got some extracts on the way. So uh, stay tuned. And I uh, can't wait to give more medicine out to the people. Take care of yourselves. Thank you again for taking the time to drop in and to drop some cultivation knowledge. Um, hopefully, we satisfied some of the the listeners' cravings for going deeper into their practice because I know everybody is excited about cultivating right now. And our goal, all of us, should be to get better and to become better stewards and better cultivators. So, um, thanks again, David. I really appreciate you doing this, man. No, I appreciate you. And yeah, like. Uh we're definitely not just cultivating mushrooms, we're cultivating health. And, uh, you know, there's, there's such, such advances that we could be using for with mushrooms, you know, for example, I did my senior thesis in college for on a making plastics degradable biodegradable plastics using bacteria. So that like, you know, having a biodegradable plastic has always been something that I've wanted to do and something in my lab just interests me pretty cool and something that happens. So Petri dishes are plastic. There's a lot of plastic waste in the mushroom growing industry. And uh, I had this lion's mane plate, uh, you know, it was pretty old. I had it for a while, but it started to eat the plastic and the paraffin that you wrap around your Petri plate to kind of keep it nice and clean. And that right there, I was like, hmm, you know, if it's eating this, this mycelium might be able to eat plastic. And that, you know, that might be game changer right there. Because we are filling with plastic is doesn't degrade ever in our lifetimes. So like this can really help us and help the world. It's not just, you know, for medicine, but it could potentially have microremediation uh, properties. That's awesome. I just had someone last night over in Australia who's the co-founder of a company doing exactly that, where they're rescuing plastic from landfills, and then they use it as a substrate for the mycelium, and they create different products. Like one of the really cool things they're doing that I want to bring up because you're a musician and I'm a musician as we unpacked got my Taylor guitar right here right but they're they're doing acoustic paneling out of mycelium and oh, wow mycelium has amazing sound absorption properties and is really good at low frequency ranges so I think in the future there's already a couple companies I'm aware of one's called Mogu M-O-G-U technologies and, and then these guys are fungi solutions out of Australia, and they're making acoustic paneling out of mycelium. And that's so awesome. Just imagine that's your recording studio not having to use foam or these byproducts of toxic processes and being able to literally grow your own sound insulating material. Like It's such a wild way to think about the future and what gets me so excited because so much bad news comes out all the time about all these yeah. problems, right? Like the fear mongering and the if it bleeds, it leads. And I'm thinking like, well, if we had enough people who were focusing on these solutions that are environmentally friendly and on environmental remediation and on their community health and their personal health, which I think mushrooms is the perfect convergence of all that. It's the perfect ally for humanity and for restoring our environment and getting to this really clean and optimistic, hopeful future. And, and it really gets me stoked that people are starting to answer that clarion call and they're starting to say, yeah, we're going to do this. And I'm not waiting for someone else, some institution or government to invent this technology. Like I'm going to start solving these problems just with a little help from our fungi friends. That's kind of my take on the whole situation. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome. It's just a positive vibration that's starting to, you know, come from the roots out. And it's amazing. Like I'm definitely stoked to be a part of this and I can't wait to see what myself and other people in this industry have like, have to offer and what we're going to do like it's it's so new and i don't know it's just you know it's amazing i'm definitely blessed to be a part of this well we're blessed to have you on the micropreneur podcast so that's all i got for you today man i really appreciate you going deeper into the cultivation aspects of your practice and sharing that with our audience and yeah just anytime you want to come on you have an open invitation if there's something you're working on or if you have a friend who's working on something you by all means I, I love having you on and uh, I love what you're doing and you're always welcome to join us on the podcast. That is awesome. I appreciate you. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. 
I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the microverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up. At Micopreneur Podcast, that's the handle. Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Micopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Micopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Micopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Micopreneur Podcast. And while you're here, go ahead and subscribe. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.